0: Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count with Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, and this week the gang is joined by Professor and author David Van Drunen to talk about natural law and two kingdoms theology. Make sure you keep listening after the podcast for an opportunity to win a book.
1: Well, it's great to be gathering for another edition of the show today. We're actually outside one of my favourite shops in the entire universe, uh, Georgetown Tobacco. Uh, I was there last night just as the Gay Pride rally was gearing up outside. And I have to say that Georgetown Tobacco is an island of absolute political incorrectness (laughs) in amongst this, this ocean of politically correct Georgetown twaddle. I spent a a happy 15 minutes just sniffing the the different blends they had there, uh, looking at all of the people standing around in the store, smoking cigarettes, which you probably can't legally do anywhere in Georgetown (laughs) in any other shop.
2: I'm feeling very politically incorrect as a West Virginian here. I'm going to have to trade in my Corn pipe, I guess, or something it's a else. You look very fetching
1: when you smoke a pipe.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but anyway, the reason we're standing outside Georgetown Tobacco is a uh, guest today, I'm glad to say, is a fellow OPC office bearer. Uh, listeners to the podcast will know that I have suffered the brickbats and insults from my two PCA colleagues now for uh, many, many months, it is finally good to have a true Presbyterian uh, joining me on the podcast. So I'd like to introduce our guest today is uh, Professor David van Drunen, who is the Robert B. Strimple Professor of Systematic Theology and Christian Ethics at Westminster Seminary in California. David will be well known to many listeners as the author of a number of books. Uh, He's written on bioethics. He's written on uh, the history of natural law and two kingdoms uh, theology within the reformed context. He's written an excellent uh, popular introduction. Two Kingdoms Theology, Living in God's Two Kingdoms, that is published by Crossway. And I would recommend that right at the start for anyone interested in how to navigate Christianity and politics in the current very uh, tumultuous times. That is an excellent book for stimulating biblical thinking on these issues. And most recently, he's published a massive tome, uh, Divine Covenants and Moral Order, a Biblical Theology of Natural Law, published by Erdman's. Uh, Todd has yet to get a copy. He's waiting for the, the <laughs> illustrated waiting edition. Waiting for the pop-up version. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the graphic novel version, <laughs> right. which we will be able to, uh, but to digest more easily.
2: weighing the table down over here, aren't yeah. they? They're, they're we have two
1: copies in the room copies. with us, and I can actually feel that they're distorting the, the, the tides off the East Coast. <laughs> so <laughs> so substantial. Anyway, David, it is great to have you with us.
3: Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for the introduction.
1: Thanks. So, well, I'm going to hand over now to, to my colleague, Amy Bird, who is dying to, to kick <laughs> off the questions here. So, Amy, questions for David.
2: Yes. Um, David, I've really been enjoying your books on natural law and the two covenants. And um, when I first read your first book on natural law, um, I learned a lot about the history of it and was very convinced and persuaded in in your position, but I had a lot of um, practical questions that I still wanted answered. And so I was really happy to read Living in God's Two Kingdoms, because I think that it really um, helped me out there, even though I'm still left wrestling with so much. And I think that this has been a hot topic in Reformed theology, but it's kind of stayed in the the seminary and, and academic realm. And as a housewife theologian, I find it very important so first of all i just want to appreciate uh express my appreciation for what you've written but um yeah so in ordinary life i'm finding that these doctrines about christ and culture affect silly decisions that i have to make all day long like uh what sports team my child's going to be on um i've written about how i was invited to christian yoga (laughs) and so um for me, I'm very motivated to learn about Christ and culture because I see how it affects everyday decisions that a housewife makes. And I was wondering what um, what got you into studying natural law in the two kingdoms?
3: Well, really, it goes back a long time. I was, boy, back when I was pretty young, I was very interested in political things. And I was, I, I enjoyed, I, 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 I play the organ. I was interested and in, uh, I spent a lot of time with with music. And uh, so I was, even from a pretty young age, I was thinking about uh, some of these things that we think about our Christianity and culture types of issues. And uh, even though I didn't really know what to call it, and those those questions stayed with me for a long time, you know, even going through uh, in my uh, seminary studies and going through law school. And it was really... It was. It was after I uh, went through seminary, my Master of Divinity program, and uh, was in law school. As I was, I, I, even while I was doing my my law studies, I was reading a lot of theology, and I was reading some of these uh, older Reformed theologians, and I was running into these ideas, uh, running into natural law and this uh, the the two kingdoms category. I saw popping up in these older Reformed authors, and it was curious to me because I I I, I didn't hear Reformed. People, reformed theologians in our own day, talking about these things, and so that really got me curious. And uh, as as time went on, I kept poking around on this, and my doctoral dissertation later uh, started to explore some uh, some of these uh, issues, and. Uh, I really decided that someone really needed to write a book on these doctrines and what happened to them, why they were very common in older Reformed theology, but relatively absent in more recent Reformed theology. And right. that's that's really the genesis of my book, Natural Law and, and the Two Kingdoms. And I've just kept working on the issues since.
2: What do you think, um, you know, because there's a lot of writing... Out about the the neo-Calvinist or the transformationalist view, and, and at first I found that very attractive. Um, what do you think is the best contribution of the neo-Calvinist model? And has that helped you to develop your own view anymore, or tweak it any?
3: Yeah, I think the 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 whole neo-Calvinist uh, kind of paradigm was certainly important in in my my own upbringing. Uh, I grew up uh, in the Christian Reformed Church and uh, 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 growing up in a Christian school and going uh, going to Calvin College for my uh, undergraduate training, uh, it, it, I was I was certainly surrounded in a sort of neo-Calvinist ambiance, and I think one of the things that is 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 really helpful about the neo-Calvinist uh, uh, tradition paradigm is an emphasis upon the goodness of ordinary vocations, uh, a a strong sense that. Christians uh, are to have a very positive view uh, of the lawful uh, occupations that they have in this world. That you can, you can, and should glorify God uh, in them. Uh, I think the uh, the neo-Calvinist paradigm, at least traditionally, uh, had an uh, in interest in the doctrine of common grace. And also uh, in their in their idea of sphere of sovereignty, uh, wanted to think carefully about the different responsibilities of church and state and family and uh, other social organizations. And there's certainly a, a lot in that neo-Calvinist tradition that I would I would strongly affirm and have cert- has certainly been helpful to me in developing my own views.
4: That's good, thank you, David. I is it fair to say that uh... That two kingdoms theology has a fairly broad spectrum, um, as far as representatives, uh, people who advocate a two kingdom and the reason I ask is that even a, a transformationalist is going to say, yes, there's a difference between the church and the world. there's a difference between the church and the state. Mm-hmm. So my, my question is how would you how would you answer the critic who would say? Two Kingdoms theology ultimately leads to a withdrawal from society in in, in any practical way. How, how would you answer that, Critic?
3: Well, I would probably want to begin by saying that it, 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 it seems like a, a very strange claim to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, historically, I mean, we would probably think of Martin Luther as – the first major theologian to really start talking about the two kingdoms as a, as a distinct, uh, important doctrine. And part, part of the whole purpose of Luther talking about the two kingdoms uh, was in order to recover a high view of vocation, uh, in order to uh, be able to express, you know, he had this, this wonderful uh, I, idea. I don't remember exactly how he put it, but, you know, God, God is the one who uh, who feeds people? God is the one who clothes people. God is the one who heals people, uh, but He actually ordinarily uses farmers and bakers and weavers and doctors in order to accomplish these things. And Luther had a very strong view of um, of ordinary vocations, and I think that was part of what he was getting at with uh, his his development of the ideas of the two kingdoms and the two uh, two governments. And if, if you read the Reformed authors who are, are talking in, in, in two kingdoms categories, uh, the they're, they're constantly thinking of it in terms of the legitimate activity of of the church they, they are I'm sorry of the state they, they need to to distinguish the work of the church from the state but at the same time uh, they're trying to take a very strong view of the the goodness of the office of the civil magistrate uh, and the very important uh, work that he has And so if you look at, at Calvin uh, in book 4 chapter 20 of the Institutes, uh, he begins in the first couple of uh, sections there of of setting forth a pretty clear two kingdoms paradigm. Uh, but it, 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 if you keep reading, I mean, he says such such high and um, such excellent things about the civil magistrate and uh, about the office of the civil magistrate, not necessarily about all the persons who occupy that that office um, and. For me, one of the things that is so attractive about the two kingdoms doctrine is that it, it, it does really help us to make proper distinctions uh, in the way that God rules this world and in the kind of institutions that God uses, the kind of human institutions that he uses to accomplish his purposes. Uh, but at the same time, in, in emphasizing that uh, what, what I like to call the common kingdom uh, is God-ordained uh that it's grounded in in the covenant that God made with noah in in Genesis nine uh, that the the offices, the occupations, the vocations that we undertake uh, as citizens of that common kingdom have God's blessing. Uh, they are mm-hmm. honorable to him. Uh, they are um, uh, they are uh, ways that we love and serve our neighbor. And the idea that that um, that the two kingdoms doctrine would be used uh, to promote a kind of quietism
2: right.
3: uh, seems to me strange. Now, I'm I'm not saying that there aren't any people who actually use the two kingdoms in that way, but historically, right. that certainly wasn't at all what the two kingdoms uh, doctrine was about. And I certainly don't want to see it as right. uh, as as promoting something along those lines.
4: Yeah. Because it, it's it's ironic to me as I've I've read some of the actually a lot of the material from the more transformationalist side is that they are saying things about the value of work that two kingdoms advocates absolutely affirm. Right. Um and and so my along with that then my my question to you would be um, cuz clearly within a two kingdoms framework uh, the the value of work the value of the ordinary um, is is very much upheld and seen and, and everything can, it, it, from our vocations can be captured for for the good of others and for the glory of God. Does the church in your mind Um, have a prophetic voice though in society for instance to be very practical does the church have something to say to society about for instance abortion
3: well let me begin by saying that i the uh i'm i'm a little bit wary of the whole language of the prophetic voice just because of the way that is 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 often used Mm -hmm. What I would say is that the, the, the church's role uh, is to proclaim the whole counsel of God. There's a sense in which we can uh, almost summarize the entire work of the church with that. I mean, that's not, that, that, there would be a lot of other nuances and qualifications that you want to say as well. But basically, essentially, the job of the church is to proclaim the whole counsel of God. Now, alongside of that, uh i would uh affirm with West, uh, westminster confession 31 uh that the church is not to intermeddle with civil affairs mm-hmm. uh and so the church is not itself a political organization uh it is not to see itself as somehow the uh the guide or the counselor for the state or for civil magistrates Uh, But it is to be relentlessly, persistently, winsomely, faithfully proclaiming the whole word of God. And so when uh, there are uh, crises in civil society, when there are debates, divisions about significant moral issues, which, of course, there always are, uh, the church, insofar as Scripture speaks about these issues, certainly has... uh, An important responsibility to be speaking about these issues. Uh, And what what it says about these issues is what scripture says about these issues. Uh, And so with uh, with the question of abortion, I believe scripture does speak about issues related to abortion. It does have something to say, something very important to say about the value of human life, even human life in the womb. Uh, And so the church ought to be clear in its teaching, in its preaching, Uh, in its discipline uh, about what it thinks about abortion and how it holds its members responsible for honoring um, human life. And I think if the church is faithful in that work of of teaching and preaching the whole counsel of God, uh, it should be pretty clear to the surrounding society what the church thinks about an issue like abortion. So I don't think the church should be Uh, trying to develop political strategies uh, for trying to shape civil law. It shouldn't be involved in trying to choose political candidates uh, for office or trying to micromanage its members' voting habits. Uh, But insofar as the church is proclaiming the word of God clearly and faithfully, uh, surely it's going to have much to say about all sorts of controversial moral issues.
1: David, how would you distinguish your view from a traditional spirituality of the church view, if indeed you would distinguish it, or, or are you really providing a a better conceptual framework for you know, essentially Charles Hodge was arguing for in the nineteenth century? How do you understand your position relative to, say, mm-hmm. Hodge?
3: Yeah, I would see it as very similar. Uh, I think the 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 whole language of the spirituality of the church is. Uh, a bit of a tough one to navigate now because it it's been uh very much associated with uh the southern Presbyterians and their um, defense of slavery and so i i I want to be sensitive to the way that 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 idea is sometimes associated with uh with ideas and uh, notions that uh, i don't want to be uh associated with. But at the same time i I do think that uh, that so many of these nineteenth century Presbyterians who were who are speaking about the spirituality of the church were trying to get at very similar things uh, uh, to what uh, I'm trying to say uh, today. And I do think that there is uh, a, a very important uh, uh, aspect uh, to our doctrine of the church, which I think uh, can be helpfully described as the church's spirituality uh, in that, The church is not a a civil political institution. It has a spiritual task, not not in the sense, uh, it's not not spiritual in the sense of ethereal or something like that, but spiritual uh, in the sense that the, the church does not derive its authority it does not derive its responsibilities. It doesn't. It, it, it doesn't uh, uh, see its its nature derive uh, from uh, any political or other uh, uh, social organization. Um, so, uh, I I I do sometimes use the language of the spirituality of, of, of the church, but it's, it's, it's not my main mm-hmm. mode of, of terminology, uh, use. And what I would say that it would to, to look at someone like Charles Hodge in, in his, um, in his arguments against, uh, the, uh, the, the Presbyterian church of, of his day, uh, making, uh, kinds of, political pronouncements during the Civil War. Uh, I concur with that and uh, thought Hodge uh, took a very uh, bold and, and helpful stand, and I would certainly associate my own views with that um, pretty closely.
1: Yeah. I'm going to ask you a question now that I think Todd and I disagree on the answer on, so I'll be interested to, to hear Todd's response to well, what I think will be your answer. Okay. Can I, as a minister of the gospel— not as a citizen. I'm well, not a citizen of the United States, but as a as a member of civic society. Mm-hmm. But can I, as a minister of the gospel, protest outside an abortion clinic?
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I would say theoretically uh, yes, but practically there there may be reasons not to. Uh, it, it seems to me that a minister of of the gospel has in some sense the very same civic responsibilities, civic opportunities that uh, any other Christian has. Uh we're not we, we who are ministers of the gospel are not a higher level of Christian. And you're right
4: you're right about gosh, that David. <laughs> you're absolutely <laughs> right about that.
3: Smoke's getting kind of thick in uh, here. <laughs> But what I would say is that I think ministers of the gospel have to be especially careful uh, about what they say about politics and what sort of um, political uh, actions that they would take in, in public. Uh, for the simple reason that I, I do think that when that, – that, well, let me put it this way, that there are a lot of people in the church, uh, a lot of the people who sit under our authority – Uh, who won't be able uh, to make a clear distinction between the authority with which we speak when we minister God's word in the pulpit from perhaps the casual informal Mm. remarks that we might make about political things. And so I do think that uh, a minister who gets involved in pro-life rallies has to be careful about communicating to the people under his authority that somehow this is a required action for for all all Christians, and that um, the minister is setting an example of what godliness and piety means uh, at at this particular time in human history and this place in human society. Uh, now, I would say that uh, a, a Christian, generally speaking, has the liberty to uh, participate in a pro life rally. That may be actually a very good thing for for many Christians to do, but it's not as if every Christian is responsible, uh, is obligated to be doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I do think ministers need to be really careful about about what they communicate, even if they're not intending to uh, to communicate something by their actions.
2: Maybe he could just be wearing a T-shirt that says, "I'm speaking as a citizen here, yeah. man." <laughs> yeah, sure, sure.
3: <laughs> well, I, I, I and I think that's a really
4: helpful uh, distinction, uh, David. I. I I tend to agree with you on that, I think Carl's been extremely misguided, um, <laughs> which I think is more a function of his uh, uh very sad and um lamentable upbringing in in great britain but um, this is this is helpful because i i, I think that um people will oftentimes uh, just simply not uh understand um uh, the 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 christian's role an understanding of of the value of work um the necessity of, uh, involvement in our, in our communities, uh, from a, from a uniquely Christian perspective. And, and of course the role of Christian softball, Christian um, softball,
2: Christian, um, pipe smoking. Christian I mean, pipe smoking. what does your t-shirt say when you walk into the yeah, tobacco exactly, shop?
4: Exactly. Um, well, this has been, this has been a good discussion, uh, David, we really appreciate your time, uh, appreciate what you've been, uh, writing. I look forward to getting a copy of your new book. Uh, apparently, the way that Carl, Carl and, and Amy have gotten uh, their, their <laughs> I paid copies. For my own. Yeah. She, oh, you paid?
1: She oh, freeloaded so on the Alliance, but I <laughs> exactly. paid for my own. I,
4: I don't pay for books anymore. This is outrageous. Um, anyway, it, I, uh, Carl mentioned it earlier, but I would encourage our readers to get uh, Living in God's Two Kingdoms by David Van Drunen. It is a popular treatment. It is... Not an intimidating uh, book by any means. There's
2: a lot of practical questions A lot in there. of
4: practical, good questions in there that he deals with. I think our readers, our, our listeners would find it very helpful if you want to kind of tease out some of these ideas that David's been talking about. Um, he, he, it's a very, very helpful book. And, and if actually, if you will visit um, our website, mortificationofspin.org, uh, we're going to be giving away several copies of Living in God's Two Kingdoms, and uh, we would... We, we commend that book to you enthusiastically. We think it'd be very helpful for you. Uh, so, uh, David, professor of, uh, systematic theology at, uh, Westminster, California. Thank you so much for being with us today.
3: You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
4: You bet. And for Carl Truman and Amy Bird, this is Todd Pruitt. And until we get to, <laughs> to get speak of to, this tobacco show, you know, it's a, been a wonderful billows of smoke. Um, Georgetown, if you're ever in Georgetown, go by Georgetown Tobacco. And, uh,
1: dodge it, the Gay Pride Rally. Do, dodge the Gay Pride
4: Rally, but uh, find yourself inside the place of Xanadu. Um, uh, this has been Mortification of Spin, and until next time, uh, we'll see you later.
0: Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold to the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. Don't forget to visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, There, you can enter for a chance to win. An
1: excellent, uh, popular introduction to Two Kingdoms theology, Living in God's Two Kingdoms, that is published by Crossway. And I would recommend that right at the start for anyone interested in how to navigate Christianity and politics in the current very uh, tumultuous times. That is an excellent book for stimulating biblical thinking on these issues.
0: Join us next
4: week on the program when the gang will discuss uh, the whole idea of a, of a creedless Christianity. It, you know, Christianity yep. just doesn't just doesn't hold up you know, strictly as a yeah. platform for me to do my good work.
1: He's looking for that, for the community aspect of the church without the theology that binds it together. He's looking to belong without having to believe.
2: I mean, he says he wants to give his life to a different gospel. <laughs> and so right. he wants to serve others as a humanist chaplain. But really, um, it's leading them to total despair.
0: Right. Where is right. your hope? Yeah.
2: There is no hope. Yes.
0: That's next week on Mortification of Spin. Don't forget to go to our website and enter that book drawing and we'll talk to you again next week.
4: Carla, how are you doing over there? Your pen's leaking, isn't it? My, my, my pen episode. has leaked all over my hand. <laughs> I'm, I'm the blue man. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs>